I'm used to being with children because uh, I still have yet to secure my high school diploma, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to upgrade me once my GED gets official. That's okay. The guys this morning didn't believe me either. Hey, I just want to say that this is a place where a lot of exciting and monumental things have happened in my life. I used to sit outside that youth group window downstairs when Pat and Amy Brosnan were the youth pastors and smoke cigarettes with my friend because I didn't want to go inside, but I wanted to be close to hear what was going on. And I remember Daryl, before he had white hair, and his stonewashed jeans would come out and make connections with me. And I remember being outside. We used to live down by the college dorms down on School Street. And every night uh, that I'd come home late, before I went in the house, the CLC men from the dorms would come over and try to evangelize the pastor's kid. And I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. But uh, it was people like Daryl that didn't judge me. They just made a place for me. I was going to Harper College, and I came here um, because one time, uh, as the new students were rolling in, I saw a carload of guys with long hair and band instruments getting out, and I'm like, oh, cool people. Like, that was my definition of cool, was, you know, if you're a rocker, you're cool. Everyone else was just a wannabe in my prideful, arrogant world. So I went down there, and I rushed into the dorm, and I'm like, hey, I live just down the block. My mom makes cookies all the time. I said, I'll be right back with my Bible. I just figured this is what these guys do all the time. So I went and got my Bible, and I got these guys. They hadn't even unloaded their car yet. And I sat them down in their own living room, and I said, let's have a Bible study. I wasn't trying to be spiritual. I was just trying to fit in. And so these guys are probably thinking, wow, who is this dude? Um, so we're sitting there, and we're hanging out. And they're like, well, we're going over to orientation tomorrow. You want to come with us? And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm like, yeah. So I'm at, these three unshowered men picked me up the next morning, and, and we came up here, and we were meeting in the gym with the orange chairs and the, all the orange decor in there. And I walked into that room, and uh, <laughs> I'd never seen anything like I experienced there. There were 100 people my age worshiping God, like singing, worshiping. And there was a band up there that wasn't performing, but they were like connected with Jesus. And our church met in our house, and the youth group was me and my brothers. And so I kind of grew up thinking that religion was just my parents' deal, and so they'd take me to stuff, but it, I just didn't have anyone my age living it out. And I saw this girl in there who wasn't singing the songs, and I'm thinking, you rebellious woman. No. She had green hair, down past her waist, these tie-dyed Zubaz pants, and she just looked like this hippie chick. And she was like in this conversation that I could only dream of what was being said, and I could only imagine what was going on in her heart. And I'm like, I was just like, what the heck did I just walk into? And I said, I want what she has. I ended up marrying that woman, Sarah Moross. And some of you guys knew her before I did. 
came over here to open, orient open registration out here on the lawn. And here's a nice man that looked like Phil Donahue out there. Later I found out it was Pastor Harry Schmidt. And I went up there and uh, he said, oh, what's your name? And he's looking on the list and I told him my name and didn't ring a bell. And he's like, you're not on here. I said, I, said, I go to Harper College. I said, but I think I need to be here. And he said, he leaned over the table and looked at me and he said, so tell me your story. And I just broke down. I didn't even have a story. I was messed up trying to figure out that God even liked me and trying to figure out what God looked like as a young man and how I was supposed to live this thing out. God had stirred in my heart in deep ways, but I just didn't have a grid for what that looked like. And here was a man, and I am just a Kleenex mess on the table in front of him. He's moving his papers away so I don't mess anything up, you know. He's got to have all his piles neat. Then Pastor Merrill saw something in me and spent time with me that I didn't ask for or deserve. So I transferred my credits over here. So I'm partying on the weekends and going to school here during the week, just trying to figure out who God is in my adult life. Then I saw this girl do a presentation of the crucifixion, Magda Lyons, in one of our chapel services. I had to learn what the word chapel meant. And I was just undone. And I was just like on God's operating table. God, whatever you did for me is real. And I want to be used to make people feel like I feel right now. And I prayed that prayer in there. And I didn't even know it was a prayer. I, was, I think I said it out loud. Dude, shh, we pray quietly around here. Or in tongues, one or the other, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and so she taught me how to do that song. And then, then Leanne Paulson, Riffness, came. And uh, took, a, took a risk and invited me to go on a trip to England four months after I had started coming to school here to do my one little song to demonstrate the crucifixion to people in England with the Sounds of Praise tour. And Jody wasn't even out of high school yet. <laughs> I went, and God changed my life. And I saw people not just being touched and blessed, but lives being changed and hearts being opened to the love and the power of God. And God was using me to make it happen. And I couldn't believe it. I remember there was one night that the Sounds of Praise was singing in this club, and then I wasn't going to do any of my stuff there, so I just, they said, well, just why don't you go out in the lobby and pray? And I went up there, and there was a bar upstairs, and so uh, I just kind of went inside there and just was kind of praying in there, and there were these three guys at the table. One guy was from Scotland, one guy was from Wales, and another guy was from England, and they were getting together, and they hadn't seen each other for a long time, and so I went in there, and I was just on fire for God. And I 
said, hey, I just wanted to hear him talk. I said, can I sit here? And they said, sure, mate. You know, and they sat me down. And, and I had a stack of Bibles in my pocket, and I started putting them out at the table. I didn't even know what the heck I was doing. But I'm putting these Bibles out at the table. And I start talking to them about Jesus, and I start talking to them about what God's been doing in my heart and in my life, and that God is changing my course for good. And these guys listen to me rant for 10 minutes. And I said, you guys, this same God is available to you. And the same love and forgiveness and power and purpose is available for you. I said, I just want you to know that I'd be happy to pray with you if you wanted to do that. And to the best of my recollection, as I'm just sitting around that table, I can picture it. When I asked them if they'd like to pray, all three of them put their beers down and bowed their heads. And I got to pray for these men and just pray God's love and forgiveness over their lives. I don't have any idea who they are. But they all came together in London that day. And I think God had an assignment. And here I was because people had taken a risk on a punk like me. And you guys, since I gave my life to Christ in a full way, it is true, Daryl, what you said. I have never gone back, and I am more excited every day about the plans that God has, not just for me, but in me and through me and for other people. And I just want to live my life to let other people see how valuable they are and that God's greatness is revealed when needs are being met. And I just want to serve the people around me not to earn God's favor, but because I'm so thankful for what he's done. So I just want to say thank you. That's a long way of saying thank you. This is a sending place. My wife and I have been married 21 years. There's a picture of my family somewhere. So even if the speech gets boring, at least you can see them. Um, so my wife's the one with the hat. And we've got two boys, two girls. And that was taken this summer. And Sarah is just gorgeous. She doesn't have green hair anymore. And she's wearing it short, but she still looks like she's 25 years old. And uh, now we have a child in college, two in high school and a middle schooler. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for those of us, those of you who knew us back then. Pastor Fred, thank you for adopting me that weekend when I, I went with your church up to Michigan in the middle of winter on that crazy bus that we didn't even think was going to make it through the city. And I was like your honored guest. I mean, you were like eight feet taller than me. And... Everywhere we went, you would introduce me as your friend. You were Pastor Fred to all these people, but you introduced me as your friend. And I just want to say thank you. You're, the faithfulness that is in this place is no small thing. Faithfulness is not necessarily trendy. Faithfulness is not necessarily, you know, cutting edge or cool. But faithfulness is one of the attributes of God that is lacking in the earth from people. Staying in one place for a long time, making a difference in lives. And getting to see their children's children. And I just want to say thank you for being faithful. I got sent out of here to Madison, Wisconsin, and this year it'll be 17 years. I have no plans to go anywhere else. I didn't want to go to Madison. I didn't want to leave here. But that's where God put us, and we're there forever until God tells us something else. But I love the example that you've set. And you have charted the course for yourself, and without realizing it, you've charted the course for people like me. Thank you, Christian Life Church. Thank you, Christian Life College. Now I'm going to blow my nose.
clap. That's pretty exciting. God is in a good mood. He is. Nothing takes God by surprise, and he knows what you need before you ask. If you're planning on having a bad weekend, I just want to invite you to change your plans. If you plan on just sulking again in what's been weighing on you, I want to challenge you that God has hope for you. We have a fireplace, and, um, and Sarah knows how to do a lot of things, but she doesn't know how to light a fire. And, how, and so I got really excited about having this fireplace, and so I was... We have a fire, you know, usually every day in the winter, you know, and it's the only way I can get her to come up early is to make strong coffee and hot fire. And then I just want to get to spend a little bit of time with her before the day gets crazy. So this one day I made the coffee and I got the fire all ready to light. And I just said, hey, sweetheart, I got the fire ready. All you got to do is put a match to it. And I'm thinking I'm all cool because I'm not sure how to light this fire. She's like, okay. She could tell that it was important to me. So she lights this thing, and I said, yeah, you just light it right there, and that paper will burn the twigs, and the twigs will burn the sticks, and the sticks will burn the logs, and it'll just be great. I got it all set up for you. So I'm sitting back, reading the Bible, reading my paper. She's on the other couch, and she says, after a few minutes, I don't think a fire's supposed to sizzle. And I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. She's like, it's smoking a lot. And I look over there, and it's bubbling smoking and I'm like oh oh you know so I get in there and I and I'm like oh you know by this time the twigs had kind of gotten and the paper was gone and the twigs were gone and I'm like okay so I'm shoving paper honey give me some more paper and we're shoving this stuff in there and my plan to have this go so easily wasn't working so I'm just sitting in there and I'm just kind of frustrated because I had this little plan in mind and our little romantic moment was being stripped away from me well I'm in there and I keep on shoving things in there. I realize that the wood was wet and so I'm trying to light wood that is not dried out. And so I, I'm just determined to do it. I'm not going to go back out and get more wood. I'm a man, and I'm going to make this happen. Well, by this time, some of our kids are getting up. And, oh, what's going on? And I hear all this happening. And they're sitting down on my couch, you know, moving my Bible over. And they're like, oh, good. Well, there's a fire? Well, there's, mm. you know, so I'm just in this black box. You know, I'm rubbing up against the wall, and I'm just a mess. Just keep trying to light this fire. And, uh, and I hear the kids fussing and complaining and wondering, What's dad doing? Something broken? And I finally get the thing lit. And I'm just down there and just. <sighs> dad, how come when you blow it, sometimes it goes out and sometimes it makes it work? Not now. You know, and, you know, they're just asking me. These are fair questions, but they're asking me questions at the wrong time. So I'm in there for five minutes. I finally get this thing going a little bit, and I'm just carefully breathing on this thing. And I'm feeling pretty confident enough to get my head out of that box. And I get out, and my family's gone, and they're all at the table eating breakfast in the next room. So the fire starts to crackle, and, and I sit down. And you know when you're pretending to be in a good mood? And I'm just sitting here holding the paper. I don't even know what I'm looking at, but I'm acting like I'm satisfied. I'm enjoying this fire! Great, Dad. And God spoke to me when I was right there in that moment. And he said, this is how I am with you. I am not afraid to go into that black box that is your brokenness, that is your pain, that is your heart. 
where the fire has gone out. And God is saying, I will breathe on that flame. I will care for that fire until it starts to flame again. I'm not going to say, oh, it's sizzling or smoking. Forget it. We just want to have a fire today. No, 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 no. I've got high hopes for you. And I've got the ability to breathe. And I, God wanted to breathe his breath on me. And I was so angry at that fire, I didn't even want to hear it. But I realized that was the word of the Lord. And I'm sharing that with you tonight because I feel, as I was preparing for this, that, that God wants you to know that no matter how dark your situation is, God is not afraid to enter it. It does not take him by surprise. God is not afraid to get dirty. God is not afraid to take all the time that it needs. He is not going to slam the door on you. He is going to care for you. He is going to get whatever kindling is needed by his hand. He is going to breathe on your situation and your heart. He's going to rejuvenate hope and purpose. And God is going to take those prayers that you've been praying and they're adding up for his good plan. And God's not afraid of that dark box that is your life, that is your pain, that is your secret, whatever it is. So I'm just submitting that. God is not afraid. And we don't need to be afraid to let him come close. Our sin doesn't take him by surprise. God is in a good mood, and he's got good things in store. Um, since we're family, I mean, I'm kind of a rental, but uh, if, that's, if that connected with you, I'm just going to ask if you would stand up so that we could, I just want to pray for you right where you're at. If, 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 if that if you need God to enter a dark place, if you see someone around you, would you, just, would you just put your hand on them? It's just our way of saying you're not alone. God, in the name of Jesus, would you care for us in deep ways? Would you reveal your plan and your purpose in a season that seems very dark? Would you reveal hope in what seems like a hopeless scenario? Would you restore things that have been broken and shattered? And would you turn darkness into light again? Would you turn sorrow and mourning into gladness and dancing again? Not just because it's a good feeling, but because God is on the throne and you are entering the dark place of our situation and breathing on us with the breath of God, giving us hope, peace, and purpose once again. Lord, I, well, I feel like there is just a, a fresh joy that God wants to, the word that's coming to mind is baptize you with, baptize you with joy to where you're almost overwhelmed with joy unspeakable. Lord, I pray that for those who have lost joy because of the toil and the striving and the pain. Restore joy filled with hope. And thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well,
I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. And it's a verse that many of you may have heard before. And this will not take long. Daryl, I really need reading glasses. I'm not just trying to look like you. I'll never look as classy as you, dude. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I don't want to focus on the harvesters and the workers. I want to focus on Jesus's availability to us. First, we see that Jesus is available. Jesus went through the cities and the villages and the towns. He went to those places. He made himself available. He was where the people were. Jesus is available and he saw people. He was where the people were so that he could see them. He wasn't hiding in a church building. He was where the people were. He went to where the people were. He saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a hated little man. And he was unfair and selfish. And he was in people's faces. He was in people's bank accounts. And he did not care. He had gotten the shaft growing up. And it was time for him to pay back everyone for what they had done to him. And he got up in a tree just to see what this Jesus is all about. And Jesus came, the Bible says Jesus came to the spot and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said, come down from there. I must dine with you today. I just love that he came to the spot. It's like God had that plan from the beginning of time, the spot. And many of us can remember the time where we came to that spot. For me, this building, this place, these people are a big part of when God came to that spot and met me. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And you know why Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus? It was because of his followers. It was the crowds. It was the, Jesus' followers were blocking the way for this punk named Zacchaeus. And Jesus wanted to let Zacchaeus know that I love you. And Zacchaeus responded to Jesus' kindness by repenting. Jesus saw people and he sees you and he finds great value in you. You, we don't deserve his love, but we are worth it. And God proved that when he gave us his son. Not only is Jesus available, but Jesus is attentive. He listened to people and he listened to what their needs were. It says here that he was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. So he was teaching in their synagogues. He went to their synagogues, not just one place and everyone come to me. He went to where they were and he was teaching. And he obviously knew that there was a lot of bad news and a lot of sickness because he went proclaiming good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. No wonder he had a crowd following him. He was attentive to their needs and he addressed them. I go to this gas station a couple times a week because they've got really good donuts. And um, so I get to know some of the, the people that work there. And there's this uh, one woman there, and I just get to know their names. And it's just kind of fun. And they're always giving me a hard time when I go there. And, you know, I try to play it, you know, see if they'll give me a two-for-one donut special. And they never do. But 
Um, one time I saw her at a grocery store with my wife, and uh, she wasn't with my wife, I was with my wife, and she was at the grocery store, and, and uh, it's just weird seeing someone outside of their uniform. So I went up to her and uh, I said, hey, Doris. She looked at me, you know my name. I said, yeah. And she starts pouring out about stuff that's going on in her life and with her husband, and, and we're just sitting right there. It's just because I knew her name. I was able to meet, listen to her and meet her need. And you know what? It's just about being attentive. And that was just one little small thing that I did. And Jesus is attentive. Not only is he around people, but he's with them and he knows their need. Jesus had heard about John the Baptist dying, one of his closest friends. He just heard about the horrible execution of one of his best friends. And after that, he went to find a solitary place. And that is when he came around the hill and saw 5,000 men and women and children sitting there on his way to find a place because he was mourning the death of his friend. And his disciples said, Jesus, blinders, buddy. Come on, let's keep going. And Jesus stopped and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was attentive to their need. And he didn't come there and just said, what do you guys want? Don't you know, have any concern for what's going on in my life? He said, no, these guys are hungry. Let's park it here and feed them. Jesus hears your prayers. God knows what you need. He knows what you need before you ask. And I always wondered as a kid, well, why should I even ask if he knows what I need anyway? Because God loves to engage in a relationship and a conversation. He loves to hear it from our hearts and from our lips. I know what my kids need a lot of times, but I love to hear them ask. It's a way that we can converse and have a conversation and know each other better. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He hears you and he knows what you need. And as we see in this, this passage, Jesus is affirming. He touched people. We see that he touched lepers. We see that he touched, um, he wasn't afraid to touch women and be culturally uh, disrespectful so that God could have his way. I have a friend who's been cutting hair professionally in his own salon for 30 years. And he said just a couple years ago, he's like, I had a woman come in and she sat down and she was a new client, and, um, and he was talking about what she wanted done with her hair, and he's kind of like this high-end um, stylist. And he went, and he touched her head. And he said, as soon as I put my hands up into her hair, she started bawling. And he's like, oh my goodness, what did I do? And he, so he kept going, and she was like, <laughs> I mean, like convulsing and weeping. And he stepped back with his sharp scissors, and <laughs> he said, ma'am, is everything okay? And she's like, it has been so long since a man has touched me in a positive and affirming way. And she's like, when you put your hands to my head, it's something that I haven't experienced in many, many years. And he didn't hear the rest of her story, but in that moment, it was his touch that he believed was representing the touch of God in her life. And just, you have no idea the power of a touch, a high five, a handshake, or the good old Christian side hug of the other gender. <laughs> Glad my dad's here to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> Glad he woke up for that one. You know, we get to represent Jesus. 
Jesus is not afraid of your failures, your mistakes, your guilt, your shame, your weaknesses. We've talked about this all morning today. Actually, those things don't disqualify us. They actually qualify us. We are frail by design. God created us in such a way that we need him. God knows that when we say yes to him that we have everything that we need anyway, and then we're both fully satisfied. Our weakness and shortcomings and guilt and mistakes, all of that qualifies us. Jesus didn't come to save those who were healthy. He came to heal those that were sick, and that's us. And that's good news. I'm sick. That's good news. Well, I just want to finish this. God has uniquely equipped you to represent Jesus to people, to be representation of Jesus to people. Not only can God know your needs, but he's inviting us to be available, to be attentive, and to be affirming to the people around us. Because what's that last verse? He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's saying, I'm not going to be here too long. You guys are my only hope to get this word out, to build my kingdom, to share the love. Jesus is available, and he sees you. He sees beyond your sin and your need. He sees the image of God in you, and he values you as a brother, as a daughter, as a son, as a co-laborer in the Father's kingdom. He hears your prayers, and he hears your cry for help, and those are not falling on deaf ears. Like Pastor Darrell said, your prayer, your prayers matter. Jesus has come that we might have life more abundantly, more abundantly. And he wants to do something deep and great inside of you so that your light can shine brightly as you represent Jesus to the people around us. People are going to see that Jesus is available by you being where people are. People are going to see that Jesus knows their need when you say, can I say a prayer for you? And they'll realize that this person thinks God is real. They think God cares. They think God hears our prayer, and they think God actually knows my need. And it's amazing if we just, in appropriate, affirming ways, just aren't afraid to extend a hand, a touch, a hug, a good handshake, and a smile to people. We are representing Jesus. And everything that he came to give, he's giving through us. And that's no small thing. Do we have needs ourselves? Yes. Do we need healing ourselves and provision and direction and guidance? Yes. Are we still messed up? Yes. But God is so big that he can actually give so much through us, even though we're in need ourselves. And I believe that a lot of times God wants to give through us in our weakness so that his power would be perfected and that both of us would be healed. As you're praying for someone else's healing, God might just heal you in the process. If God's using you to give $100 in secret to someone else that needs it, God might in secret give you $1,000 to meet your need. I'm not saying that this is a formula. I'm just saying that God's economy is big enough to not be limited to our need so he still wants to meet other people's needs through us, even though we are needy ourselves. If we wait till all of our needs are met to actually be available for God, we're never going to do it until we see him face to face because that's the only time that our needs are fully going to be met. Now we see through a glass dimly, but there's going to be a day where we will see him face to face. The veil will be drawn, torn down, and we will know all things as we are known. But until that day, we are co-laborers. We are favored sons and cherished daughters of the almighty king. And he is inviting us into a relationship of love, forgiveness, power, and hope. 
And the byproducts of that are peace and joy that you've never had before. And if God plants that deep inside of us, it's impossible for the world not to take notice. I'm going to read a poem. And this is, and I'm going to be done with this. I woke up one day and I put into words, kind of Dr. Seuss style, what God has done in my life. And I want to tie this into what I said at the beginning as I'm thanking you for making this be a sending place and for taking a risk on people like me. God is happy to take a risk on people like you for his glory. I titled this, How I Got This Way. I want my life to be about people, not about religion, church, or a steeple. I want to take what's been given to me and share it with others that they might be free. God wants to help us. He is faithful and good, but far too often he is misunderstood. It's easy to be selfish in this culture which we live. We want what we want more than know how to give. My hero is different. He gave his last breath. He meets me every day of my life. I will meet him in death. He came to this earth as a child, you see, but his purpose in coming was to set us all free. Free from what? I used to ask. I'm just fine as I am. Perhaps I was concerned about some religious scam. See, religion is a program full of systems and rules. God is after a relationship with both kings and fools. Jesus freed me from being obsessed with me. And now he's teaching me how to live being free. So now I want to live my life, to care for my family, to love my wife. I want to help others see how valuable they are. To help you to know that God is near and not far. God is not against us. He's not all up in my face. His followers may get goofy, but he is full of grace. The peace that I have and the joy that I share comes from my best friend who taught me how to care. To welcome others without judgment. To love without expectations. To gently share my faith in the one who rules the nations. God longs to help us, not throw us a curve. Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. Once I saw past my hurts, the pain, regret, and shame, I found the one who made me, and he knows me by my name. I asked him to forgive me. I thanked him for the cross. And since I've made my peace with God, I am no longer at a loss. I don't have to earn his favor. I am now free to do what's right. I live because I'm thankful, which gives me great delight. I'm not some big preacher guy with a giant lasso rope, but... I wanted to explain to you what gives me peace and hope. And just for the record, he cares for you too. The joy of knowing your maker is available to you. Your life won't become perfect. Your troubles won't all flee, but you'll be with the one who loves you and he will set you free. Thanks for listening. I'll be here all night. <laughs> Tip your waiters and waitresses and please don't start a fight. So now you know where my faith is at. Contact me sometime if you'd ever like to chat. And I think God wants me to start giving these away everywhere I go. You know what?
I grew up having fox and socks and Dr. Seuss read to me by my dad. Now I am taking that to the next level. And I'm just thankful that God takes a chance on us to love us, to know us, to touch us so that we can in turn do that for others. Could we stand and pray? Thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you for these people. I thank you for this place. Lord, I pray that even today and this weekend and this week that you would begin to do a few things here, that you would begin to make known to us that you are at work to respond to our needs. And I pray that you in the same, at the same time would make known to us people and opportunities that are right before us where we can represent Jesus and gently share our faith in the one who rules the nations. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for taking a chance on us. Thank you for having a mission and allowing your church to be the ones that fulfill that mission. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Darrell.